So I don't know, maybe you guys have seen this. If you go to the zoo, you'll see signs like this that say, hey, please don't feed the animals. Don't try to play with them. Don't pet them. Don't stick your fingers in their cages because they can, they can kill you. One man didn't learn this lesson. And so in 2017, in order to avoid paying the entrance fee to the zoo, he hopped the fence into the tiger's cage. Look this up at your own risk. They recorded him being mauled and killed because he did not notice those wild animals. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, you and I have a wild life. If you're a Christian, you have a wild life that is still active in your person. If you're a Christian, you have a renewed inside, but your outside, the flesh, what the Bible calls a sarks, is still very much wild and non-domesticated. There's a part of you as a Christian that you know and you experience this sense of, look, my flesh can want to do the wrong thing and I want to give in to those things. Or, uh, to make it even more clear, your flesh can also go haywire. Uh, if you're depressed or anxious or lazy or if you have an issue with lust or, or if there's other issues in your life, now, a part of that is because you're still in the fallen flesh. Now, here's two categories of people. If you're a Christian, you have been given victory by Jesus Christ over your flesh in order that you can overcome it, even if it's a very pernicious and difficult sin. The other category of person is an unbeliever, a non-Christian. He or she should not expect to overcome sin in the same way. Uh, a non-Christian can clean up their act and, and do things better and have a better life as a result of those things. But uh, realistically, the Bible only promises Christians, people who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, to overcome their sin and to become more and more conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. This, in fact, is the promise of Scripture, that we will be like Him. How are we, then, supposed to deal with the wildlife? In fact, you might notice the subtitle of, your, of this series is Overcoming the Temptations of the Flesh. So with those two audiences in mind here, if you're a Christian, I'm going to help you uh, through Scripture over the next several weeks on how to overcome specific temptations, uh, like lying, like stealing, like lust, like laziness, like loneliness, like pride, uh, like, uh, like a whole host of things. Those are temptations of the flesh, and Scripture has a lot to say about how to overcome those things. If you're a non-Christian and you're here and you're here because you have to or you're here because a friend invited you, I want to appeal to you as a pastor and as someone who knows Christ to say, look, the, the way that you can overcome these things in your life is not just to medicate them, is not just to think differently about them, but rather to surrender yourself to Christ in order that you might have victory that is long-lasting, permanent. doesn't mean you won't fight for it. It just means that there's a different kind of quality of experience available to those who are in Christ Jesus. And to start this whole series off, we need to start off with the basics. We need to start off with an understanding that uh, spiritual warfare is a part of the Christian life. Uh, and the way that the Bible talks about it is both instructive and warning to us. In fact, one of the verses that you're going to hear me repeat over the course of this sermon and over the course of the next several weeks is Romans 13, 14. And it goes like this, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on. Uh, that concept of putting something on like a garment is going to be repeated throughout not only the New Testament, but also our text tonight. You'll see that a few times. Put on. Uh, take up. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the key here. Make no provision for the flesh. 
And, and when Paul talks about this in Romans 13, what he's talking about is like essentially don't provide for yourself things that are going to make it easy for you to sin. Instead, put on uh, like a garment, uh, and by that he means like put the, the character and the nature of that thing. When everyone, when you put on like a, you go to prom, go to prom, you dress up really nice, right? You wear your tux if you're a dude, you wear your dress if you're a gal, and like you're looking sweet. Your, your hair slicked back, or if you're a girl, you, I don't know what you do to your hair, but it's not slicked back, I know that much. So you're looking, like, so you, and so you act differently, like, oh man, I feel, I feel handsome, I feel beautiful. You naturally respond to the clothing that you're wearing. And in a similar sense, Christians are supposed to think about themselves as having put on a new identity. They put on Jesus Christ, and therefore, they do not make provision for the flesh. It would be like if you put on your tux or your expensive dress, and then you guys go to the park, and you're rolling around in the sand in your, your really nice clothing. And with your brand new shoes that you just shined, you're, you're playing kickball, and with your dress, like you're, you're running in the ocean, and you're just paint, painting with different things. It wouldn't make sense. And the same thing is true with the, as a Christian. You are in a spiritual warfare. You have put on Christ. Therefore, don't make provision for the flesh. This is one way that you overcome the things that are holding you down as a person, uh, the temptations of the flesh. We put on Jesus Christ. We don't make provision for it to gratify the flesh's desires. And so over this next uh, 30 minutes or so, we're going to talk about what to wear in the wild. We know that we're putting on Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If you don't put on this clothing, if you don't put on Jesus Christ, if you don't put on what Paul's about to instruct you in, you're going to be vulnerable and weak. And here's what I can promise you. If you don't do what the scripture commands you to do in, in order to fight your sin, you're going to continually, often struggle with the sins of the flesh. Look, I'm, I've been a Christian now for years, and I still wrestle against my own flesh. But there are things that I know that Scripture says to do, that if I'm obedient to these things, I have a lot more victory over myself, over my sin, than if I were just doing it the way I want to do it. So here's the challenge for you. You often, I hear it all the time, you struggle with doing the things that God calls, we all do, but here's what I mean about that. You struggle with doing the things that are basic to the Christian faith. And therefore, because you're not doing those basic things, you experience weakness and struggle in your flesh more than what you should. Paul's going to take us through this text in Ephesians 6, and he's going to help you understand, look, if you want to have victory, if you want to experience spiritual success, there are certain things that you have to give yourself to in order to experience that victory over your sin. Are you lazy? Okay, well, let's look at what Scripture says. Are you lonely? Okay, well, let's look at what Scripture says. Are you, uh, are you sexually immoral? Okay, let's look at what Scripture says. And it starts by putting on the right clothing. Again, Romans 13, 14, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. But closely associated with that concept is to put on the full armor of God. So I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to be page 920 if you're using our, our pew Bibles still in the chairs. I don't think they're there. I thought they were. Okay, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 is where we're going to begin. We're going to learn um, how to make progress as Christians, how to overcome sins and temptations of the flesh. And so Paul begins in chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, he says, look, finally, as he closes his letter, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and his powerful purposes and his vast strength. Be strengthened by that. Here's the first point you need to understand. Look, you will not be successful in your Christian life. You will not be successful in your Christian life apart from drawing from God's power. I put it like this. Point number one, you need to believe your success requires, demands, necessitates God's power in your life, young person. You've got to get this in your head. 
Because you struggle, you suffer with weakness because you don't believe you need God's power. I don't know if you know this, but I went to Utah with a couple people last week, the week before last, right? We went to, it was just several of us, actually. There's the awesome team that we had. Uh, you can't tell, but Ryan just showed up before that picture. He just scooped in there last minute. And so we went to Utah. We had this great time. We talked to Mormons, and here's some of the guys we talked to. This was actually a very awkward conversation. This was a very slow, laborious, uh, laborious conversation. It was really hard to get them to talk to us, and they didn't really have a lot of good answers. But nevertheless, we walked away friends, and we had some really uh, interesting, dynamic conversations. We met this guy named Dave, who was this, uh, like this really good-looking, well, like he's in good shape, charismatic kind of guy. Uh, really difficult to put your hands around because he was just, like he would, he would talk to you about one thing, but there would be like four things in the one thing. So you didn't know what to talk to. You didn't know, to, how do we respond to this? It was a challenge. And why does this photo look so good? Because I told him to pose. And so that's what they're doing. <laughs> that's exactly what they did. I said, pose, guys, strike a pose. And they did. Um, we also took a picture of Jameson walking downstairs. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Frankie and Jameson spent like, what, five, 10 minutes doing different poses of him walking downstairs. You might be asking, what's the spiritual value of this, Pastor Ron? I don't know. <laughs> Let's think of a metaphor. We were descending into the darkness of Salt Lake, much like Jameson is descending down the stairs. Really cool picture. Actually, can you tell if this is an iPhone or a DSLR? Can you tell? Can you tell the difference? It's definitely an iPhone, someone said. I think this is the iPhone. Is that right, Frankie? This is the, it's the iPhone. His was, yeah, he has a DSLR, which took better photos. Anyway, so at the end of the week, we all had a good time. We thanked God for this. But here's, here, here's, here's one of the things that I want to bring up to your attention. What if, what if we went to Utah and the whole week we never opened our Bibles, we never spent time in prayer, we never gave ourselves to the worship of God, we didn't go to church because, you know, we didn't have time for that. We're too busy. Uh, and by the way, because we, were so, we had so much activity going on the whole week, we were just tired. So we just slept in every day. We didn't have time for our devotions. We didn't have time to think about Scripture. We didn't have time to think about God. And so we just went on our merry way the whole week long, never giving time to God. What would be wrong with that? Now, don't answer out loud. In your mind, you should be able to conjure up several different answers. Not the least of which would be, we were doing a spiritual activity trying to reach people with the gospel by only relying on physical measures. Us talking, us having those conversations, you know, us going knocking on doors or talking to people at uh, Temple Square. The problem with that, of course, is God doesn't operate that way. God calls us to be faithful to him and to trust him and to trust his resources, to trust his working in us. Another problem with this would be if, if we did that all week long, we never opened our Bible, didn't pray, we didn't ask God to help us with this spiritual work, we would be uh, arrogantly thinking we didn't need God's help in this. I don't need to be reminded about God's scripture. I don't need to be praying more. I, I did a, lo a lot of praying before I left. I read a lot of my Bible before. I, and the point is not that you should check off the DBR box. You know I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying that you need to check off the DBR box. What I am saying is that someone who is a Christian realizes that their strength, their power, their effectiveness does not depend on their human skill, but on the Spirit's work in you. And so I'm confident that most of my team, hopefully all of them, were reading every day and praying on a regular basis because they knew this. But the problem for most Christians is that we don't believe this verse here. Be strong in the Lord. Okay, I know. Well, I went to church on Sunday. I feel good about this. I went to youth group on Wednesday. I felt good. No, we need to realize that to be successful as a Christian, 
to engage in spiritual work, we need to realize that only when we are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might do we make progress in our faith. Your success requires God's power because you are weak, young person. You are weak. You need to know this. Even if you're a Christian, and perhaps especially if you're a Christian, you should know better than anyone else around you. You are weak, fickle, and many times, if you're honest, you're faithless. Now, this is not to say that uh, you're, you're not necessarily a Christian. That might be the case, but I, what I'm getting at right here is that Christians recognize with no lack of clarity that we need God. Our tendency is toward feeling arrogant and self-sufficient. And, and, and here's the thing. You can know if you're falling into that trap by the amount of time you're investing into drawing near to God. Are you arrogant and self-sufficient? How much time are you spending in prayer? See, the thing is, God wants us to draw strength to him, and he has plenty of strength to give. You guys remember when Jesus was talking to Peter, and Jesus says, look, you guys are all going to fall away, and Peter says, hold on, hold on a second. Maybe these knuckleheads, but me, Jesus, this is me. Me. I, I, even if these guys fall away, I will never fall away. And Jesus, I, I, can, I can just, in my mind's eye, maybe he smirked a little bit and said, Peter, look, before the sun rises or before the sun sets, you're going to deny me three times. No, Jesus, no. Jesus gives, Peter gives Jesus the hand and says, no, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Of course, you know the end of the story. Peter Walks away in victory, never denies the Lord, right? Oh, man. I resonate with Peter. Peter walks away, of course, and as the thugs come to arrest Jesus, Peter is among the rest of them running away for his life. And the worst part about this is as Jesus is being strung up by a kangaroo court, Jesus and Peter make eye contact. Just after Peter says, I tell you, I don't know the man. And Jesus, I'm sure, surrounded by religious leaders, in some way navigates between the crowd and locks eyes with Peter. And as Jesus looks and gazes directly at Peter, Peter realizes just how foolish and stupid he had been. He had trusted in himself when all along Jesus was saying, no, Peter, you're weak. You can't put your trust and confidence in the flesh. Put your trust and confidence in me. Peter runs away and he weeps bitterly, the scripture says. Young person, you need to be aware that you are weak and vulnerable. Sometimes you need to realize just how weak you are. And often that means God has to humble us to show it to us. But I pray, what I really want you to know at this point is to, to be spiritually successful. You have to know from the very beginning here, you are weak and you need the strength of God. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. That's why he calls us to that. Well, to be strong in the Lord means to be weak in ourselves, to be weak in the flesh, or to, be, uh, to recognize that we don't bring much to the table. Ephesians 6.10 begins by telling us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, it's obvious here, but let me just say it like this. Your success requires God's power because you're weak and he's strong. Well, let's just be clear about that. It, it is one thing to highlight and acknowledge your great weakness. It is a whole other to say, but guess what? God has plenty of strength to sustain you and to strengthen you through every single trial and temptation you go through. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we have the immeasurable greatness of his power expressed and experienced toward us who believe. And he says his grace strengthens us. His grace supplies us with everything we need to do his will according to the riches of his glory. Essentially, Scripture wants to go out of the way to say, hey, you're not good enough. Hey, Jesus 
is good enough. He's sufficient. He's strong enough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul says, Lord, I need you to deliver me from this bondage, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to. But here's the thing. When you're weak, then my strength is made perfect. In other words, when your weakness is on full display, it becomes evident that your strength comes not from you, but from Jesus Christ. And this is by God's design. God designed you to know your weakness in order to draw from his strength. I went to an escape room one time, and uh, we got out at the last minute. And the guy's like, oh, man, I, I was so confused at how you guys did this because you, you completed this escape room differently than anyone else had ever done this. You, 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 how'd they put it? You controverted our design. Like, we designed it to do this, this, and this, and you did this other thing, and yet you still succeeded. Go figure. You see, that's not going to happen with God, though. God's not going to say, oh, look, you got to heaven, but you did it differently than I designed it. Oh, somehow you got to heaven, and yet you didn't do it through Jesus. You did it through your own means. God's never going to say that to any single one of us. And in fact, what God's going to say is, look, you get to the cross, and you get to the heaven. You get to uh, the spiritual endpoint through one means and one means alone. Acts 4.12. You guys know this, right? There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven, uh, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. We come through Jesus, and that means we acknowledge, we recognize our weakness and his strength. Here's, the, here's, here's, the, here's the, the pointed thing that you need to hear, okay? Whatever your temptation is, whatever your spiritual uh, struggle is, whether it's your tongue, whether it's uh, your anger, whether it is your laziness, whatever it is, here's what you have to know to succeed against the passions of the flesh. You need to acknowledge and confess your weakness, you need to recognize both of these two things. And then you need to take this first and foremost to God and say, God, please help me. I'm not strong, but I know you are. Help me to draw from your resources and do this your way instead of my way. Because here's the thing. You can go to CBT. You can do cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. You can go see your psychologist. You can uh, go ask the doctors on TikTok. And they're going to give you a million different ways to deal with all of your, uh, your issues. And they're going to give you these psychoanalysis kind of responses. And here's the way you should think about yourself. You are enough. You're amazing. You're wonderful. Uh, but that is so against what Scripture says. Scripture says, no, acknowledge your weakness. Take your weakness to the Savior. Savior is rich in mercy and in grace. And he will enable and equip you to respond to those things the way that you should. You need to know that you need God's power. Believe your success requires his power. But it's not just his power. You also need his perspective. Look at these next few verses here. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 say this. He says, uh, but, rather, here we go, put on, here we go, there's that clothing analogy, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Isn't that an interesting passage there? Put on the whole armor of God because the devil is presently scheming against you. And in order for you to stand up against his schemes, you need to be ready. You don't have a choice. Put on the whole armor so you can stand up against the offensive attack of the enemy. The implication, of course, is that if you're not putting on the whole armor, you're not ready, you're weak, and you're vulnerable. Verse 12, Paul says, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is not with the people on the TV. Our battle is not with the people at the school. He says, look, our real battle is against the rulers and against the authorities. Now, at, at first blush, you might say, oh, the president, I guess, or the, the cops. You know, all cops are bad, I suppose. The rulers and authorities, the governors. No, here's what Paul is saying. Take a look at these next few, these next few lines. 
He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul clarifies that those four things that he just listed, we're not just talking about physical authorities or earthly authorities. We're talking about spiritual authorities, demons, demonic forces. Uh, and, and, and it looks like, based on this verse here, that there are uh, sects or uh, sections of different angelic, demonic hosts that war against us. This is, this is in part who Satan uses to attack the body. And so verse 13, he ties it up. He says, therefore, look, because this is true, because this is what's happening, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You need the whole armor because uh, when Satan uh, sends his attacks against you, you need to be ready and having done all to stand firm. Look, I think for most of us, you may not, you may not think about this very often, if often at all. And here's the point I want to make in, in point number two. I think you need to awaken to the reality of spiritual warfare. Most of us are, are, are smart. You take AP classes and you do, you know, IB stuff and you read lots of books. And so you guys are super intellectual like most of us uh, in, in this society. But sometimes we downplay to our own detriment the spiritual reality that we're in. I know some of you guys see this on, uh, you see this in, in, in your different feeds. You see people uh, using the law of attraction, right? If you think certain thoughts and you repeat them enough to yourself, you will attract those things to you. The trouble with this is that it's kind of sort of true, I guess, in some way, not the same way that they're teaching it, but the law of attraction is this concept where, look, if you want to have this kind of car, you create a vision board. You cut out that car, put it on your vision board. If you want a certain kind of uh, girlfriend or wife, you cut out a picture of someone that kind of sort of fits that person, you put them on your vision board. You want to be a billionaire, put a picture of money on your vision board and attract it to yourself by looking at it and affirming it over and over again. And in fact, that's called manifestation. We talked about this a little bit the last time we talked about uh, some false thinking. Manifestation's a new thing, new-ish in terms of its popularity right now, but it's not new, it's old. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a pagan witchcraft idolatry. And this is related to the law of attraction where you spend time uh, writing on paper or on your iPad or your iPhone, writing things down like, like what's, uh, I am thankful to be driving my dream car, my new dream car. You keep writing this over and over again. Five times a day, 55 times over. I don't know. I don't know how this works. But you, get, you write it down over and over again. And what you're trying to do is you're speaking to the universe. And then the universe hears your prayers and responds by bringing this thing into reality for you. Sounds kind of like prayer, right? Sounds a little bit like Christian, uh, Christian prayer, except it's nothing like it. You're praying to the universe, and then the universe hears you. Well, on top of this, you guys might also be familiar with some of the things that are also getting popular. Uh, crystals. There's a crystal for every kind of malady. Kind of sounds a little bit like essential oils to me, if you ask me. But they're different, I suppose. I like essential oils, actually. Not for their health properties. They smell good. That's, I guess I could get a candle. But anyway, uh, crystals. Different crystals supposedly have different powers and different influences on your life. And so they'll say, look, uh, crystals have different chemical properties and makeups. And therefore, when the crystal is near you, it exerts its power and energy on you, causing you to have uh, inner growth, as moonstone would do. Um, and bloodstone, when it's near you, helps strengthen your person. Sapphire, if you keep sapphire on a necklace or on a bracelet, that's also going to bring prosperity. It'll attract money to you because it sends off its energy vibrational waves. If you have ruby, 
Ruby means you're going to have greater vitality. You need energy, you need more ruby in your life. Maybe stick a ruby in your coffee in the morning and... <laughs> Crystals. Is this new? No. But this is part of spiritual warfare. How about this? Have you heard of Reiki healing? Reiki? Reiki healing, it's, uh, it's this concept where a Reiki healer uses energy to heal your body. And so you'll see here this Reiki healer, they, and the, the, the glow is special effect. That doesn't really happen. They use their hands, and they send energy to your body. So, like, this person looks like she's getting a massage. The Reiki healer doesn't actually touch you. They just energize you. That sounds like a good job to me. <laughs> I'm not actually touching you. I'm just <laughs> energizing. Uh, what's interesting is that as Christianity declines in popularity, things like this continue to in increase, right? The, uh, what, what Christianity leaves... Uh, the vacuum is filled by new age philosophy, new age thinking. Here's, here's the short story, young person, lest any of you get entrapped by this terrible thinking. Scripture makes it clear that we should not be the kind of people who practice divination or tell fortunes or interpret omens or to be a sorcerer. That sorcerer kind of fits that whole, it's a broader, uh, a broader term that fits that whole category of applying a spiritual approach to discerning how to do life apart from God. So essentially God says, look, if you want to be spiritual, there's only one valid means of spirituality, and that is through the scriptures, through Christ. So don't be uh, someone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interpret omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, necromancer, someone who talks to the dead, or, uh, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. It's a strong word, abomination. He, he is hated by God. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them, the people that practice this, out before you. And so here's what you need to know, Christian, if you are a Christian. Look, if you're looking for spiritual solace, do not go to the New Age healer. Do not go to transcendental meditation. I know that for some of your schools, the teachers have introduced, or at least are trying to encourage, mindfulness meditation. And that's, I mean, there's other things I didn't even bring up here that we could talk about. There's a, there's a million things that fit this category that we're not even introducing. But just recognize that you're in a new environment where spirituality is encouraged, except biblical spirituality. So your teacher might say, okay, here, guys, we're going to take a moment to be mindful and present. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with being mindful nor present. The wrongness comes when they start introducing different philosophies or different deities that they want you to direct your attention to. They might not use the deity's name, but they're still using the deity's techniques, as in the case with yoga or, uh, you know, yeah. Is it just stretching? I'll leave that up to you to discern and talk about in your small groups. But here's the point. Here's the point. You need to be aware that you are in a spiritual warfare reality. You don't get a choice here. This is part of your reality. In fact, there's a story that I'm going to have you take a look at in your small groups. Uh, th this gal uh, named Doreen Virtue wrote several books. She was the new age guru. She was up there with all the big guys and gals, and she would travel the globe and fly first class in United Arab Emirates, and she'd have the nice cars and the beach houses. She wrote tarot decks. Um, they're actually tarot, tarot, and they were angel cards. And so instead of uh, instead of using the, the normal tarot cards where they would be like demonic forces and things, she created a new deck of cards where she talked about angels. Here's the thing. She goes on to say, look, my experiences with, with the supernatural forces around me were real. 
She says, I would, be, I would receive insight about people. I would have conversations with angelic forces. At least that's what she says. She says, I, I knew what I was talking about. And she says, God gave me a special gift where I could commune with people and know things about people that no one ever told me because God would reveal these things to me. Well, after 58 years, uh, being 58 years old, God radically saves her. And so she writes this book called Deceive No More, where she tells a story about how she was taken out of New Age mysticism into biblical Christianity. Now, this gal is as Christian as this Christian could be. Like, she loves all these conservative Bible teachers. She thumps the Bible loud and proud, and she now has this podcast with one of, uh, one of the gals that she connected with, and she interviews different people. Anyway, long story short, Doreen Virtue's life was radically altered and changed from New Age mysticism, which she confesses is fully real, into biblical Christianity. Now, here's what she says. She says, look, in that time and space, I had experiences that cannot be explained physically. She says, not all these people up there are charlatans. I mean, they're charlatans in some sense, but they're not faking it. There were times when she said she did fake it. But she says, a lot of the time, when I was doing readings on people, they were real. I was hearing voices. God was showing me images and visions about these people. She says, now, as a biblical Christian, I realize that what I was seeing and how I was experiencing those things were demonic forces at work in my life. I now realize that as a Christian. And she says, I'm so sorry, and I feel so guilty for the kind of pain and trouble I inflicted on people who followed my teaching. Doreen Virtue deceived no more. You need to realize that you are in a spiritual reality. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. You need to be uh, aware, first of all, the devil is real and he's dangerous. That's why you need the full armor of God. The devil is, present tense, scheming against you. The devil is a real foe. Now, he's a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. God has dealt the final death blow. But while he is still al alive and unbound, he is still actively at war against God and God's people. So you should not, as a Christian, downplay him to be irrelevant. He is relevant. He does play a role in your life and the life of your people, uh, the people that you love friends, families, um, everybody. The devil is real and he's dangerous. In fact, Scripture says, look, you should be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because the devil is bound and he no longer poses a threat to any of you. <laughs> no. Be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, your opponent, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Bless you. <laughs> a roaring lion. Now, I don't like cats either. So I know what you're thinking. Like, it's a roaring lion. Like, this is not a purring kitten. The devil is not like, oh, let's just hang out and have a good time. No, rawr, I want to kill you. I want to eat you. I want to destroy you. A roaring lion seeking someone to devour, just like a cat, always striving to hurt people. This is what the devil does. And the Bible says, look, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Be aware of what he's, at, of what he's trying to do. And in fact, in Ephesians, you, he's, Paul's already detailed some of the ways that the devil's working against you. How is the devil scheme? Well, here's the thing. The devil schemes with your old life. Hey, doesn't it feel good to go and do the things you used to do? Don't you really miss the way that your friends and you used to do these things as unbelievers and used to cuss and drink and smoke and listen to this music and watch that show? Wasn't that a good time? That's the devil scheming against you. The devil also schemes by presenting you unresolved anger. Look, if you're angry at somebody and you're holding a bitter grudge, hey, congratulations, the devil's got a foothold in your life. The devil schemes against you by presenting you with anger to make you upset with the people that are closest to you, especially to make you upset with other Christians. 
that make you say, man, those are hypocrites. I hate those people. Man, I just don't like that guy. He upset me. She hurt me. She betrayed me. And look, the devil's going to use that anger to create a foothold in your life. He also schemes to cause you to want to steal things. He creates covetousness in your heart by presenting you opportunities to steal things that don't belong to you. Why? To increase your status, to give you more happiness. Doesn't matter. The devil doesn't care your rationale for wanting to sin. He just cares that you do it so that you harden your heart against the Lord. He also wants you to engage in unwholesome talk. And by the way, if you look at the top 100 of any chart, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, most of the songs on the Apple charts or any chart is unwholesome talk. The E is, a, is next to almost every song that's actually enjoyable to listen to. You notice that? Most good songs have the E in the song title. Like, oh, okay. If you're going to listen to this song, be prepared to be exposed to and encouraged to think about and listen to and even sing unwholesome talk. That's a scheme of the devil. Have you noticed this in your life? Have you noticed the schemes of the devil? He is real. He is dangerous. You need to be alert against him. Somebody once said, look, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think for our day and age, it's pretty close to true. The devil's real. He's dangerous. The battle is invisible and also dangerous. This is what's so difficult about spiritual warfare is you can't see it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If there was someone who came in with a gun, it would be easy to identify the threat and to neutralize him. But here's the thing. Paul says the devil doesn't come in with a machete or a machine gun. He comes in with invisible forces. The rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those four descriptors talk about four different kinds or different categories of demonic forces. Now, I don't understand uh, the, the ranking system. I don't know how they operate. But here's the very thing, uh, the very least we can say. They are organized and they are dangerous. You, you got to look at this and realize that when the devil is sending out his minions, they're not unlimited in number. It doesn't, it, he can't have a million here and a million there. He's got a limited number. I don't know what that number is, but he's got a limited number. But that doesn't mean that limited number can't be useful to do negative and bad things. And so he deploys them. Rulers and authorities, they are organized. They are strategic. Cosmic powers, that means they have some kind of power that we, we can't see, we can't realize. They're spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They operate in the ether. They're, they could be around right now. And in fact, they could be at work causing you not to want to listen to this because, oh, that would mean they'd be uh, a lot more intentional about their Bible time and their prayer time because they now realize that they're spiritual forces. I'd prefer to uh, make your phone buzz. I'd prefer you to get, be distracted by this other thing so that you're not listening. You need to realize the battle is invisible and it's dangerous. And in fact, because it's invisible, it's all the more dangerous. It's kind of like being in smog. Like when you go outside and you breathe in the air, it smells, it smells good. Uh, you can't really, you don't smell the particle matter in the air. In fact, if you look around right now, it looks, oh, it's a pretty clear day. But if you get a, a high view, you'll notice, oh man, there's stuff in the air. I can't see it, but it's there. You get a, a high point of view. You can see like, oh, there's a cloud of smog sitting over L.A. and Orange County and different places. That's kind of how it works with spiritual warfare. You're in it, and so like a fish, you don't realize you're in water, but the Bible makes it clear that you are a spiritual, physical being in a spiritual and physical world. Therefore, you need to realize that it's always happening and have your armor up, have your guard up, because the battle is inescapable. You are in it, and you don't have a choice to exit it. You are, by design, in a spiritual warfare right now, present tense. That's why Paul finishes in verse 13, therefore, he's highlighting his argument, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. 
because the evil day is either coming or it is here. You're in this present dispensation of evil. Be ready. Christian, you need to be ready. You need to be aware you're in a spiritual battle. Some of you guys don't realize that your depression, your anger, your bitterness, your loneliness, your lustfulness, a lot of these things that happen in your life are in part due to this spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is composed of three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are three forces that work against you and not for you. And therefore, you as a Christian have to internalize these things. Okay, I need to believe that God is the power source that I need. I'm weak. I need his strength. Secondly, I'm in this. I don't have a way to escape this short of death. And now then, how do I best respond to this? Well, verses 14 through 18, we're going to have you, point number three, you're going to assess your spiritual preparedness. Because whether or not you are spiritually prepared will determine whether or not you succeed in the battle. Will you be able to experience victory over the sins of your flesh? Or will you succumb to them? Man, students, I, I wish I could tell you. There are people that have been in this room and 120 West, True North students who went through the I mean, brilliance, love the Lord, were walking with the Lord, and now walk the opposite direction. They don't love the Lord anymore because they're following the passions of their flesh. And it's often not intellectual challenges. It's not often that. I think we do a pretty good job at Compass at helping equip you to think intellectually about your faith and not just take it blindly. That's not often the challenge. What's most often the challenge for people your age is that you are enticed by passions of the flesh, things that call you and beckon you to say, look, you can't do the things you really want to do if you're a Christian. Therefore, abandon Christianity so that you can live your best life now and experience the lasting fulfillment of following your flesh. It's a lie. It's a lie. When you abandon Christ, you abandon life. This is not rocket science, but this is where the battle is hottest. You need to be ready and assess your spiritual preparedness. As we spend the next several weeks together, this is going to come up repeatedly, different ways and, and places, but you need to understand this is a real thing. I have a concern, a pastoral concern for your protection, for your continuance in the faith, or even for you to get saved in the first place. I need you to stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So here's, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to give you seven questions related to this, the seven different aspects of the spiritual armor. It's going to go quick. So please either have your phones or your pens ready uh, because there's seven questions we're going to assess based on the seven pieces of armor. First one, are you happy with the amount of time you're investing in the truth? Paul says, look, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth for, for a soldier, the belt itself would hold his, his shirt in so that he doesn't get in the way of his hand-to-hand -hand combat, his fighting. And so the belt would gird him up and prepare him for battle. You are prepared for battle by how much time you invest in the word. Now, here's the thing. I need to say this again. I'm not just talking about checking the DBR box off. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt read DBR and check off the box every day. It's not what it says. The, Bi the Bible sets the bar far higher. The Bible says, let the word of Christ, do you know this one? Dwell in you richly. Does that sound like read your Bible daily? It doesn't sound like that to me. It sounds like it's got to be a part of your whole life. So my question is not, are you doing DBR daily? Which I, I hope you would. I want everybody who's part of our church who calls himself a CBC -er, to be doing DBR. This is what your pastors want you to do. We want to do DBR together. This is what your church does. It's what your leaders don't want you to do. But that's a starting place. 
to say, to let the word of God dwell in you richly doesn't just mean I want to spend five minutes. It's, hey, can you spend an hour, two hours? Can you meditate and memorize? Are you happy with the amount of time you're investing? If you're not happy with it, it means you're not spiritually prepared. Paul says, stand therefore having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Here's the thing. Are you living in righteous obedience to God's commands? And Jesus says, people who love me are going to do what I say. It's a natural response to love for Christ. So therefore, are you living in righteous obedience? Or is the opposite true? Is there something in your life that you know is sinful? Something you know God would not approve of that you're still giving yourself over to? If so, you're not spiritually prepared. Tonight would be a good night to repent, confess that, and to rebuke that old life and walk in obedience to the commands of God. Not for your salvation, but because of it. In verse 15, Paul says, Stand therefore as shoes for your feet, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All of this is about standing against the schemes of the devil, right? To stand up against the evil, the evil uh, assault of the enemy. And so verse 15, we're going to say, look, are you ready to share the gospel as opportunities arise? When the gospel of peace in, enters your life, you suddenly become a conduit of that same gospel to others. You are now ready because you've been given the gospel to share the gospel with others. Some of you guys are going back to school in person in a couple weeks. I know, I don't want to remind you about that, sorry, but you're going to go back to school and you're going to have a chance to share the gospel with people, to be a living incarnate representation of what it means to be a Christian. Young person, take the opportunity. Wouldn't you rather have a friend be upset with you now rather than in judgment, they look at you and say, why did you never tell me? as you're walking into the, the pearly gates to be accepted by Christ, and he says, come in, my good and faithful servant, and then the friend at school that you sat next to says, why did you never tell me? Why would you let me go to hell like this? I don't want that blood on my hands, and I'm sure you don't either. Spiritual preparedness means that we recognize our commission as ambassadors to share Christ as often as God gives us the opportunity. And here's the thing, young person, I want to see more people in here that are serving and loving Christ. We live in a, in, a, in a South Orange County where there's 3 million people at our disposal in any direction. You can throw a rock and hit a, hit a person. We want to see those people come to Christ. The power is in the gospel, not your presentation. The power is in the spirit using your words, not in your intelligence. Are you ready to share the gospel? Paul says, look, we're to stand in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the devil. Excuse me, the evil one. Think about it like this. Uh, in, in, in warfare, there are people that are shooting fire. So they're dipping them in pitch, setting them on fire, and sending them your way. Your job is to take that full body size uh, uh, shield, you know, which has been dipped in water. It's leather and water. Uh, dipped in water. So as an arrow comes your way, boom, you're blocked. You're protected. The idea here is that you are letting the Bible uh, respond to the lies of the enemy. The enemy is going to assault you with flaming darts of foolishness, lies, error. And your job is to respond with Scripture, to, re to respond with the promises of God, the, the truth of God, and to uh, allow that to deflect the assaults of the enemy. Some of you guys are really good at detecting error but not responding to it. You can catch when something doesn't hit your ear right, but do you know how to respond with Scripture? The shield of faith essentially is you shielding your heart, your soul, your body with faith from what God's Word says. 
Verse 17 says, we're to take the helmet of salvation. Here's another one. I know a lot of you guys struggle with the assurance of your salvation. The, the, the helmet protects your head, obviously. And therefore, one of the things that helps keep your mind right is knowing that your salvation is secure in Christ. Do you know how to, uh, to receive that assurance of your salvation? Part of it being spiritually ready knowing what the gospel is, knowing how to respond with scripture and trusting him to care for you both in this life and the life to come. Your final element of the armor is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Essentially, all these pieces of armor go back to the word of God, but here's how I put it here. Do you know the Bible like a warrior knows his weapon? You know, I know some, some policemen and servicemen and service women. They could put their weapon together backward and forth. They could put it together and take it apart blindfolded. I thought, I don't even know if I can get in my car blindfolded. <laughs> if I can get in and out of my car. Like they know their weapons. Why? Well, because it, their life depends on it and the life of the people next to them to depend on it. Your only offensive weapon as a Christian is the sword of the spirit. You should labor to know the Bible like a warrior knows his weapon. Lastly, if it wasn't already clear, verse 18 Paul says that we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, vigilant, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Are you putting in the work to pray as you should? Prayer is hard work. It takes effort, takes energy, takes practice, takes diligence. And Paul says, look, if you're going to wear the spiritual armor, you need to put on the full armor of God and be at all times praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is not some mystical thing. It really is to be praying in accordance to what the Spirit's purposes and desires are for your life. How do I know that? Well, you have to know the Bible, to know the Spirit's words, the Spirit's purposes. When you're praying and you're pulling out your Bible and praying according to what that Bible says, you're praying in the Spirit. So how are you doing? You spiritually ready? The next several weeks ahead, Minus revival, of course. Revival is going to be a great high point. But we're going to talk about the wildlife and how not to feed it and how to overcome temptations of the flesh. I, really, everything that we're talking about, I want you here for. I want your friends here for. I want all of you and so many more here for this. You need this. This series, I don't pick things randomly. This is like, oh, we need this. We need this. Please don't miss this. Make sure you're here for every single week because we need this more than we realize. Spiritual warfare is real. You need to be well prepared for this. In fact, I heard this song recently. I don't know how I heard it, actually. I think I heard it in the background of a video or someone referenced it. But there's an album called When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? It came out a couple years ago. The artist in the song says this. All the good girls go to hell because even God herself has enemies. And once the water starts to rise and heaven's out of sight, she'll want the devil on her team. My Lucifer is lonely. According to the artist, the song's about global warming. Okay. But as you hear that song, which as I heard, I'm like, oh, it's really catchy. I could see that song getting stuck in my head. Not that I liked it, but it was catchy. You need to realize that the world that you're in is not on your side. In fact, the artist goes on to say, look, I don't even believe in God. I don't believe in God. The song is just a poetic way of saying we're destroying our planet. Everything's going to go terribly. But she refers to God as God herself. <laughs> um, all the good girls go to hell. Well, okay. 
Um, she'll want the devil on her team. This is God. God wants the devil on her team. My Lucifer is alone. I don't even understand 99% of this, but here's what I do know. Um, it's stuff like this where it can fly under the radar of your heart and mind and it can plant itself in your thinking. You need to be vigilant and alert to things like this because spiritual warfare is happening all around you. And if you're going to be spiritually successful, you must wear the full armor of God. Let's pray as we close. And one more song together. Consider our current spiritual progress and where we are and where we should be. Look, young person, I know it's easy to take a sermon like this and say, yeah, that sounds good. I want to do that. And to go to your small groups and talk about it a little bit and then forget all about it. I don't want that to happen. I want you to begin to take this year much more seriously in terms of your spiritual growth and development with Christ. Thank you.